Well, we're in Matthew chapter 5, remember, Sermon on the Mount from Jesus, and so we'll continue here with verses 38 through 42, as you heard read. I'm not sure if you've ever had this feeling before yet throughout this sermon series, but if you've ever felt like, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure that I can do what you're calling me to do, Jesus, what you're asking me to do. If you've ever felt like that, great. If you haven't, congratulations, today is your day where you get to feel like that. Uh, Jesus is showing us the loftiness of the law and showing us that no one measures up. So if you've been coming here and and reading through this and listening to this and and taking these commands and thinking, all right, this week I'm going to do this, uh, that's not exactly the message of Jesus. You know, when when we read Scripture like that, I think we think in our minds, this shows my devotion, but really it just shows our arrogance that we can come to the Scriptures and come to the law and think, I'm going to start chipping away at this thing, you know? That shows really our, our, our lack of self-awareness of how much of a, of a sinner that we really are. I, I kind of feel like as we've been going through this, like you're in a boxing match with Jesus. Sorry, that's a weird thing, but it's kind of how it feels. Like he came with, with, you know, don't be angry. And I was like, oh, gosh, that hurt a little bit. But this week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really get to work on my anger, right? And then it was like, hey, don't ever lust. And it was like, kaboom! That knocked the wind out of me a little bit. But I think I'm still standing. I'll just get an accountability partner and we'll talk about it every week and I think I'm okay. And then this week, this week is just the knockout punch, but there's one more punch coming, so I'm not sure what that is. Maybe kicking us while we're down or something. But this week is just total self-sacrifice. You must be completely self-sacrificial. Well, that's, you know, ding, 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 throw in the towel. We're done. None of us can, can live up to this. There's, it's like there's a progression from the, those bookends that we talked about, a progression from your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, which is the last verse of this section. And so listen to that progression there. You might hear the first one and think, okay, that's going to take a lot of discipline, but I think I can, I'll, 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 I'll get to it and see what we can do. And then he kind of rounds it off with, the, he just takes it even higher and says, not necessarily just better than theirs, perfect. That's what I meant. Perfect righteousness. And there's that, that steep progression that he goes on throughout this section on the law. Well, I thought we'd start with just a little, maybe how we approach the Bible, because I just noticed as we go through this section, I just thought the way I often come to the Bible, and probably the way many of you often come to the Bible, when you go down to sit and read the Bible, and you open your Bible, and you kind of have the question like, you know, what is this going to tell me to do? Or what can I get from this? Or how do I apply this to my life? Great questions. Nothing wrong with those questions. It's just not the first question that we come to when we open this scriptures and read. We can kind of get off track. The reason is, I really hate to burst your bubble, but the Bible isn't actually about you. Sorry. It's just not about you. It's about the Redeemer Jesus. So if the first question is something about us, we're a little off base there. Maybe the first question should be something about the one this scripture is all about, Jesus. Instructions play a role, but they're not the main role. There's a main player in this play, and his name's Jesus. That's the one we want to look at. So here... We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the, the, the initial sermon from Jesus. Like, this is the start of his ministry. And what do you think he's going to say when he starts his ministry? 
You know, it's like when the president comes and gets inaugurated, you know, his first message, you want to make sure that one's good. You want to make sure that one kind of states what you're all about. And so this sermon from Jesus is going to be the, the central message that he is all about. And so a question might be, as we look at, at the, these scriptures here, we might ask ourselves, how does this lay the foundation for the gospel? That would be a great question as we, as we look at this text, and really, as you read all of Scripture, if you're reading the Old Testament, that's a great thing to have in mind. Hey, before I even look at these words on the page, how is this laying a foundation for the good news of the gospel? Great question to have. In 517 through 48, this section where Jesus does the law thing, you have heard it said, but I say, an answer uh, to that, or, or as we think about that question, Uh, Something we might say is, in the face of the insurmountable law, you can't, Jesus says, you can't, but I did. Now receive my life. That's kind of the message that he's coming with here in this section on the law. You can't, but I did. Now receive my life. And so Jesus wants us, as we hear these words, to listen to them and then stop and reflect on them. And think about them. And not go so quick to just, how can I apply this? What can I do? Well, hold on. Let's, let's reflect on these for a little bit. But there's no time for that now. You're going to have to do that on your own. i got a sermon to preach, okay? So let's move on. Here's the sermon summary for us. If you're new, we've been starting with this sermon summary, which kind of acts like a, maybe a thesis for what the sermon is all about or something. And so you at least have that because people always ask you like, hey, what did you learn today in church or something? And you have no idea. Well, I've helped you. You have something. now. You have at least one phrase or sentence. So here's the sermon summary for today from Matthew 5, 38 through 42. The law demands complete death to self. The law demands complete death to self. We're going to approach it like we have approached the last few weeks in this. You have heard it was said, but I say stuff by Jesus. And that is to look at first, hey, what did the law actually say? So when it says, but you have heard it was said, what, what did that actually say? And then how are the scribes and Pharisees, which are just the, the religious leaders of the day, how did they take it and change it? What was the error that they had in kind of manipulating that statement? And then lastly, what is Jesus teaching and why is it so important? But under there, I want to look at two things, why this is so impossible for us to live up to, and then why it's good news. So that's kind of where we're going. Let's start with what did the law say and why did it say it? So Jesus says, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, if you go back to Exodus 21, you can see the, the first place where this shows up. It's also in Leviticus 24 and Deuteronomy 19. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at uh, Exodus 21, 22 through 25. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is no harm, then you shall pay life for life. But if there is harm, I'm sorry, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, Hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now, let's put that in its original context to help us out a little bit, okay? What is, where are we at when this is given? 
Are, do, do, has God revealed the whole story of salvation yet? Well, goodness, no. We're in the second book of the Bible, Exodus. So no, the whole story has... He, he's got this unfolding plan, and he's so patient or slow, patient to reveal all of it. And so right now we're in a spot that he hasn't revealed the whole thing. So don't read it like that. Read it in, in its original context, which is uh, the, the law is coming along, and you might say the Old Testament law is kind of give people an informed conscience. So God is trying to give people a conscience. Look, here's what righteousness is. Here's what unrighteousness is. Do you understand that, you people with sinful hearts? I mean, think about by the second generation of the Bible, we've got brothers, a brother murdering another brother. You can see why he would need to come and say, okay, hold on a minute. Let me put some parameters here. I didn't think I needed to say this, but don't murder your brother. You know what I mean? Same thing here. Look, here's some laws to restrict the chaos that you guys are causing, okay? You can't just up the ante every time someone does something. It's, it's restricting the payback that's allowed to be given, restricting evil. It's not eradicating evil. Don't think this law is given to get rid of evil. That's further in the story. His name is Jesus. He's the one who eradicates the evil. Here, this is like a little placeholder, you know? It's like, just take these laws, live by them, okay? The the true answer is coming, but just for now, just take these laws and and try not to go stinking crazy on them, you know? That's, That's what's happening with some of these Old Testament laws, where are we at in God's unfolding story? This is about restrictions, just like with the divorce thing. That was the same thing. You know, when Moses said, you have to give a certificate of divorce. It wasn't God saying, you know, divorce, actually, it's kind of fine. I'm okay with it. It wasn't that. It was just trying to put a placeholder in for a moment to restrict chaos. And later on in the story, we get the, the whole story. So the law here eye for eye, tooth for tooth, defined what punishment was allowed. Now, what was the error of the scribes and the Pharisees, these religious leaders? Basically, they took it from limitation and moved it to command. So they took what an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, which meant, look, just because someone, you know, hurts your cat, you can't set their house on fire, okay? You have to, under, you have to do something, you know, the, the crime, the... the must, or the, the payment must fit the crime. And so that's what, instead they take it to say, no, if somebody does this to you, you go do that to them. That's a command. It's in the scripture. And so they would be able to, to, you know, have this retribution and pay people back and be such villains like that. And then say, no, 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 look, the scriptures say, it says right here, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So I had to do that to that guy, or I had to do that to that girl. That's what was required. That's not what the law was saying. They took something that was a limitation, trying to restrain evil, and they made it into a command that they must do and actually did the opposite, which made more chaos instead of restricting the chaos. You might say they're doing something like a summary might be, be that they're relaxing the law and teaching others to do the same, which Jesus said in 519. It's the worst, of, the worst thing you can possibly do is relax the law and teach it to others. That's exactly what they're doing here. So that's what the law was originally. That's what the, the religious people of the day were doing. Now, what does our Jesus say about this? 
He continues, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now, I think that's a summary statement right there. Do not resist the one that's evil. And you might say, what does that mean? What does that look like? Can you give me some examples? And Jesus says, I sure can. How about five of them? Here's five. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If he would sue and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse to the one who would borrow from you. So five examples. Basically, the first one is a, uh, it's a slap of insult. So it's kind of like a backhanded slap. You know, if you're a guy and you get punched, that's one thing. If you get slapped by another guy, that's not okay, you know? That's like the ultimate, like you're a little child, or whatever, some worse word. But anyway, that's, that's what's happening there. It's like a defaming of you as a person. Like you're nothing. That's what the slap is about. And then, hey, if you're sued for the shirt off your back, I'll tell you what, give them your jacket, give them your pants, give them your wallet, the whole thing. Give them, just give them all of it. Go ahead. If you're enslaved against your will to go with someone and to be their slave for a mile, when you're freed, continue to be enslaved by them for another mile. Hey, and, and if any beggar asks from you, you should give whatever they ask. And if anyone asks to, to borrow from you, you should give that as well. Now, when you hear those things from Jesus, and I hear them, here's what I do, you know. I'm like, oh, you know what? A couple weeks ago, remember I was driving and saw that guy with the sign that said, like, homeless? I gave him two bucks. Look at me. My neighbor, he, his, his lawnmower broke down. I let him borrow mine. I'm like a law keeper over here. So what else you got, Jesus? I'm doing this thing, you know. That's, that's clearly not reading the Scriptures with the heaviness and the weight that Jesus is meaning for us to hear. So, um, God help me. But I added some words in here to maybe help us hear how lofty this is. So, bear with me, and, and I'll read it with these words I've added in. But I say to you, never resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, in every instance, turn to him the other also. If ever anyone sues you and takes your tunic, automatically, without question, give him your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile without being asked, and in every circumstance, go with him two miles. Give anything and everything to the one who begs from you in every single case. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you, no matter what they ask for or when they ask for it. Oh, now hearing like that, you might think, come on, Jesus. I mean, what am I supposed to have nothing for myself? What am I, a doormat? That sounds like death. Hold that thought. Let's go back to the sermon summary. The law demands complete death to self complete death to self. Jesus is saying that what the righteous standard of God is, the law, the righteous standard of God is complete death to self. Complete self-sacrifice, completely living for, for others' benefit and not our own. Zero conditions. I don't care 
well, the law doesn't care what you've been doing or what happened today or why you're like this or how your parents, what, how your parents treated you or didn't treat you or where you grew up. Or, it doesn't ask any of those questions. It just says, the righteous standard of God completes self-sacrifice and puts a period at the end of the sentence. Look at what Jesus does with the people who are either demanding of you or the recipients in each of these cases, just to, just to make it even more lofty. You know, who are those who you're supposed to turn the other cheek to? Is it like your family members who maybe just said something they shouldn't have? No, this is someone who's smacking you across the face and is defaming you and calling you all sorts of terrible things, essentially. You're supposed to, to them, turn the other cheek every time, in every instance. Who are you to give your cloak to? Is it someone that uh, is, is chilly and you don't know, but you're you know, gracious enough to give your coat? No, no. This is someone who just sued you and took the shirt right off your back. And you're supposed to also be colder and give them more of your clothing? Who are you to travel with? Is this, is this a neighbor or a cousin or someone like that? No, it's not that. Jesus puts in that story... It's, it's something like a kidnapper. It's, it's something like someone who's enslaved you, someone who's probably threatening you. Go with them another mile. Who are you giving to? Someone who can, can like give you it back in two to three months, right? Like, hey, can you loan me a few bucks or loan me some money? I'll get it right back to you a couple months. No, it's the beggar, the person who has nothing and will never repay you at all. That's the person you give to. See, there aren't any adjustments in this law. It never takes into account circumstances. It only states the demand and the requirement. So when the law says give, it doesn't just mean periodically give or from time to time give. It means give everything and give anything to everyone and anyone at any time constantly. That's what the law means when it says give. Sermon summary. What is this law demanding of us? The law demands complete death to self. As if I even needed to say this, let's look at why this command is impossible to live out. First of all, theologically speaking, we believe that uh, we are born sinners. In other words, Adam and Eve sinned, and we all came from them. So it's wrapped up in our DNA. It's who we are. We can't escape it. We're sinners. That's just who we are. And so there's no chance of us living this out perfectly for any amount of time. You know? Some of us, not even a day. Some better of you people, maybe a week. I don't know. But it's like three, three seconds for me. So that's just me. I'm worse than you guys, though. You know that. What, what, does this, what does it look like, though? So you got that theologically, we're born sinners. Yeah, I, I, I get that theologically, but what does that mean kind of on the ground level from day to day? Well, I think a few things. First, we think we're more important than, than pretty much everyone else, or at least as important, but probably more important, really, you know? So that would keep us from, serve, from death to self, because after all, we're pretty important people, you know? 
And, and secondly, we think we have to protect our life, like we're the one in control of our life, right? Like we have to sustain our life, we have to protect our life. So we're not going to die to self because then well, what would happen? There's no one out there protecting us. There's no, there's no God of the universe who, who knows all things and has all things ordered and is, is in, in caring for us and loves us and knows the cares of our hearts and that sort of thing, right? No, we've got to protect ourselves and, and uh, make sure we have all the things that we need. And then lastly, I think we have just an aversion to death and sacrifice in general. Just a real aversion to that. That death sounds like death. And Jesus says death is life. Like, no, that doesn't make sense. This is going to kill me. And he says, welcome to life. I don't get it. I have an aversion to that. Now, as I was thinking of this question... Why is it that we don't want to live a life of complete self-sacrifice? My mind immediately goes to, like, why we don't, or maybe even why you guys don't, you know? How am I going to teach this? And then, you know, a day goes by, and God's so gracious, and then he's like, hey, Ryan, I got an idea. How about you think about why you don't? How's that sound? Not general categories specific to you in your life. Why don't you specifically live a life of full self-sacrifice? Um, and then I went to sleep and forgot about it, and that was it. But anyway, uh, I'm kidding. So that's what I want us to think about. Don't, I, I, there's general categories that fit all of us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might say, why don't you live a life of full self-sacrifice? Because I'm a sinner. Yeah, I, yes, true. Tell me more. Because I'm selfish. True. Tell me more. Let's think about this a little more. Let's sit with God and, and say like David, you know, discern, discern my heart, God. Help me understand the things in my heart. You know my heart better than me. What is it about self, living a life of self-sacrifice as the law demands that I push against and don't want to do it? Why is that with me? What's with me? So I encourage you this week, spend some time and ask God, God to, to reveal that and maybe discuss it with some other people that uh, you trust won't make fun of you too much when you, when you come up with the answers. Sermon summary, the law demands complete death to self. Jesus, what is he saying when he says this? He says that it's complete death to self. Why is it impossible those reasons were sinners, and we have this desire to protect ourselves and make us more, the most important. Well, why are we so thankful for this law? For us Christians, for those of us who, who trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the law is more than just words on a page or, or words on a tablet of stone. The law actually has a name, and his name is Jesus. He's the embodiment of that law. He's the one who's lived that law perfectly on our behalf. And so I want you to, to think through the things here that Jesus has said, and then let's think about how Jesus himself is the embodiment of the things that he's saying the law demands. Who is the one who didn't resist evil, but instead took upon evil on himself? 
on the cross. He took all the wrath for our evil. Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. Who is the one who was mocked? Not just with a slap across the face, but He was spat upon. He was yelled at. If you're the Son of God, get yourself off of that cross. They put a purple robe on him. They put a crown of thorns on him. They put a a, a nameplate above his cross that said, King of the Jews, to mock him even more. Matthew 27. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saves others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. And what was Jesus' response? He doesn't retaliate. He lives the law perfectly in turning the other cheek. He remains quiet and just receives what he did not deserve. Isaiah 53 again. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like sheep before it, that before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. Who is the one that had his tunic taken from him? And not just his tunic, but all of his clothes taken right off his back. John 19, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it. Let us cast lots to see whose it shall be. But it wasn't just his tunic. It was his entire existence that he gave willingly. Think about Philippians 2, 6 through 8. The Apostle Paul describes this. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't hold on to that. But he emptied himself. He completely died to self. By taking the form of a servant. This is the creator of the universe. Who's now taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. But humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Creator of the universe. Dying on a cross. there, There is no picture of complete death to self better than that one. That is the one. Complete death to self. Jesus dying on a cross. Who is the one who was forced to take his cross? You know, forced to go a mile? He was forced to put the cross on his back and walk up to the hill of the skull. John nineteen sixteen through 17. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his cross to the place they called the place of the skull 
which in Aramaic is called Galgotha. Forced to go a mile. And then aren't we thankful, especially thankful, that he doesn't neglect the beggar. That when we come to him begging for forgiveness and grace in the sight of this law, every single time he offers forgiveness and grace. He doesn't turn away from the beggar. He doesn't tell the beggar to get their act together. He just gives every time to the one who asks. And aren't we glad that if we ask to borrow, hey Jesus, I'm going to need some righteousness because I'm going to face God and I'm going to need a little righteousness. Could I borrow just a, maybe just a little bit for myself? He, he gives. He says, have it all. You can have it all. And he gives all of his righteousness to us, beggars who need to borrow and could never pay back. Now, here's the, here's the really surprising thing about this is that as Jesus takes up residence in our soul, what happens is all of a sudden we start to see some of this stuff come out in our lives. You know, like we start to see a little self-sacrifice amongst these people here. And we start to love other people. And we start to sacrifice for other people. And we say, wow, we're really surprised. Because I know that's not me. Jesus must be living in here and must be kind of oozing out the life of Jesus must be in me because I see self-sacrifice in my life. I see a little bit of, of that. It's wonderful. And we say, praise God that he's taken up residence in my soul and now is living through me to proclaim how great he is to the world. What a great, gracious, and loving God. Let's pray together. God, you're so good to us. I pray that this, how good you are, would just sink down deep into our hearts right now. And we would really be be filled with joy that you have, have done everything for us in our place. May the idea of you being the picture of self-sacrifice for us, would you allow that to stick with us for a bit and just hang with us this week and teach us more about it and show us more about your faithfulness in self-sacrifice and and draw us closer to you and and give us more thankfulness in our hearts for you and um, bring us together as a community, a community that desperately needs your righteousness desperately needs your full self-sacrifice on our behalf because we could never produce it. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.